Chapter Five of Household Puzzles by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: A Sermon. To go back to the early hours of that stormy evening, the storm continued and indeed increased in violence, proving Helen to be a true prophetess. Much debate arose over the projected tea party and the propriety of Helen's braving the storm. Ladies are curious beings was Tom's comment. No man would venture out this evening unless he was obliged to do so. Nonsense, Helen said energetically. Every gentleman who received an invitation will be present. You'll see if they are not. Tom's answer was not soothing. Bless me, I was speaking of men, not of the bewhiskered perfumed fellows that my lady marshal gathers about her. She moves in the very best society, Helen said with quiet dignity. People consider it an honor to be invited to her house. I'm glad I wasn't considered worthy of the honor, for the wind is too much even for me. This from Ermina. What a commotion about a little snow, Helen said fretfully. I've been out worse evenings than this. Not this winter. Mr. Randolph said, speaking on the question for the first time, just as he was about to leave the room. This is decidedly the most severe storm of the season. Nothing but necessity compels me to face it. You will do well to think twice, Helen, before you decide to go out. I shall go, said Helen, determinately. I am not going to waste half the day getting dressed for nothing. Go, of course you will. Who doubts it? You would go if the snow was piled three feet above your head, and you had to go through a tunnel. The fellows are tunneling down by the bridge, anyhow. Mrs. Randolph looked horrified. Is it really so bad as that, Thompson? I wish you would conclude not to go, Helen. I shall feel distressed about you. Helen's voice was more gentle, as it always was when she addressed her mother, but quite decided. There is nothing to distress yourself about, mother. Only Tom chooses to annoy you. There will be good paths, and they will send me home in the sleigh if it is necessary. Tom, it is unfortunate that you can find no better employment than making mother feel uncomfortable. I really wish you had something to do with yourself in the evening. Some boys study, but I suppose we must give up all hopes of you in that direction. Tom gave a lugubrious sigh. I suppose you must he said in a solemn, nasal tone. I was the pride and joy of my eldest sister's heart, the very apple of her eye. She lived and breathed only for me. But I have fallen from the high pedestal whereon her high hopes placed me, and now it is sadly to be feared that I shall bring down her brown switch with sorrow to the grave. Ermina and Maria were convulsed with laughter, but Helen's eyes blazed angrily, ridicule was a thing that she could not meet pleasantly and tom having finished his sentence in a sepulchral voice saw fit to vanish through the open door words sent at random sometimes stayed by that young man something to do he heartily wished it for himself maria's attempts to stay up the failing fortunes of the family to economize the very pennies kept him from very shame from the many convivial pleasures in which his heart delighted and which had been the bane and the cause of the sudden closing of his college life. Fortunately for him, such pleasures cost money, and money he hadn't. Neither was he willing to join the fellows and trust to luck 
to meet his share, as had been his college habit. Maria was too constant an example for that. He had failed thus far in obtaining work of any sort. He had lost all heart for study. What was the use of study? he asked himself grumblingly, now that college doors were closed against him. There actually seemed to be nothing for Tom to do but to lounge around and be a nuisance. This was what Helen in one of her petulant moods had said of him. On this particular evening he lounged out to the kitchen. Maria had left it in neat array, but in great loneliness. Tom drummed on the tin pan that was turned over the bread sponge, and wished that the sponger thereof would come out so they might have a talk. That not happening, and the kindlings having been made ready early in the evening, there seemed absolutely nothing to take his attention. He opened the door and stepped out on the piazza to view the weather. From the woodhouse chamber window there came the rays of a modest light on the snow. It suggested to Tom an escape from his wearisome self. He would go and visit Peter. Quite delighted at this novel idea, he went three steps at a time up the back stairs and knocked loudly at Peter's door. Receiving a low-toned preoccupied, Come in, he pushed open the door, and the inmate was revealed to him, perched on a high stool, his elbow resting on the little old table, his head in his hands, gazing at an open book. He expressed neither surprise nor bewilderment at seeing his unusual visitor, but glancing up, said gravely, "'I've found him.' "'Have you indeed?' Tom answered briskly. "'That's lucky, I suppose. Who might he happen to be?' "'Why, that Peter you told me about. I've looked off and on for him every night since you told me, but as I didn't know in what place to look, it took considerable time to find him. I've got him now, though, the very first of him, I guess. It reads as though they hadn't told anything about him before.' Tom sat down on the side of his host's bed and gave himself up to laughter. "'What are you laughing at?' said Peter in surprise. "'Well,' Tom said, quieting a little, "'if the truth must be told, I was laughing at you. You're about the drollest chap I ever heard of. So you've been hunting up Peter ever since?' And Tom went off into another laugh. "'Well, now,' said Peter, gazing at him in undisguised astonishment, I declare I can't see anything in that to laugh at. I can't now to save my life. Why shouldn't I hunt him up? If there was a chap of your name in the Bible, wouldn't you kind of like to know what he did? There is, said Tom, with sudden energy. I'll be bound if there isn't. Thomas his name is, just what my name was at first, until there were so many of the same name in the family that father changed mine to Thompson. It's just another form of the same name, I presume, though. What did Thomas do? I doubt if I know. Some pretty scaly things, if I remember rightly. One of these times we'll hunt him up. Let's hear about the other one now. Thus invited, Peter turned with alacrity to his Bible, and read in slow, laborious tone, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. I tell you, I think that's fine, he said, pausing in his reading. When I read about him walking along and seeing folks, and folks seeing him, seems to me I can't stand it. I want to be along with him and have him see me. There's undoubtedly a difference in men, Tom said meditatively. 
What? I was speculating as to what you thought and what I thought. What do you think? Several things. Never mind, go on. Fishermen were they? I didn't remember that. I suppose it was fine employment in those days. What happened? And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now you see, Peter said, speaking mournfully, he spoke to them. They was nothing but poor fishers, and he stopped in his walk and spoke to them. Where's the Sea of Galilee, Tom? Haven't the slightest idea. I can tell you about as little on this subject, I fancy, as anybody you could apply to. Well, never mind, I'll find out somehow. Wasn't it fine, though? What would you have done if you'd been one of them fellows? Can't say. What would you? Well, said Peter, meditatively, I ain't sure. You can't never be sure, I suppose. But it's my opinion that I'd have done precisely what they did. What was that? Oh, you haven't heard the whole story. Well, I'll read the rest of it. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now you see, there's a trouble. I don't understand what that means. I'm bothered a good deal in that way. What of it? Tom said listlessly. You are not that Peter, you know, so it's of no consequence what was said to him ages ago. Peter shook his head decisively. That won't do. It's a thing that came up in the class last Sunday, and it was made pretty clear to my mind that there ain't much in the Bible but what was wrote there for us. It stands to reason, you see. Why would folks want to keep reading the Bible over and over again if it was all about folks who've been dead and gone a thousand years ago and didn't mean nothing to us? It's just what I was anxious to hunt up Peter for, because it's likely enough that the very same things he said to that Peter might mean me, too. But he called on Peter to follow him, and you can't do that. What's the reason I can't? Ain't it exactly what I'm trying to do? If there's anything that I'm working at in this world, it's that following. Oh, well, said Tom, I meant follow him literally, as they did, along the seashore of Galilee. They left their nets and followed him. No, Peter said mournfully, I can't go and follow him as they did. Ain't that exactly what I said? But then I can follow. Folks can do that. He went to heaven, you know, and that's what I'm after. But about that fishers of men, now that's a poser. I can't take it in, and it's a pity. There's no telling, but it means me. I wonder how I'll go to work to find out. Tom's conscience smote him. Intellectually, he understood perfectly what it meant, but it was such a new thing for him to attempt an explanation of Bible language. He leaned against the footboard, and yawned and pretended not to have heard, but Peter's grave, troubled face was a reproach. "'What put you into such a strange way of thinking?' he asked at length. Peter looked up with a stare of astonishment. "'What way?' Why, hunting through the Bible for people and things in a way that no other mortal fellow would think of doing, I'll venture to say. Why? said Peter, blankly. The Bible's true, ain't it? I don't deny it. What has that got to do with the question? Huh, a good deal, I should think. If the Bible's true and it's about me, why shouldn't I want to find out about it? 
you fellows study away at arithmetic because it's true and you want to use what's in it to help yourselves along what's the reason a body shouldn't work at the bible for the same reason i think it's enough sight interestinger than arithmetic too but them fishers of men is a poser tom laughed uproariously then yawned then sat erect with well now my beloved peter i presume i could read that riddle to you if i tried do you know how to fish his congregation nodded well then you know that there's a thousand different kinds of fish more or less and they have to be caught in about as many different ways some you have to coax you know and be very easy with and others you have to be very spry over and some require entirely different bait from others and that's the way with men i take it it requires about as much skill to catch men as it does fish and he was going to teach them to be just as skillful do you see peter drew a long breath and answered slowly yes i guess i see yes i know i do i take it in why yes it's plain and it's grand too ain't it now jolly you are worse than saint peter was to ask questions i venture to say well sir i've preached a sermon to-night the first one in my life and i must say i had a very attentive audience and tom immediately brought his visit to a close it was the lingering of this conversation in his brain that suggested that little talk with maria of which i told you in the last chapter end of chapter five